Hey, welcome to Night School. What's becoming a daily occurrence, night school episodes. A daily night school. Daily night. A nightly day. Yeah, I'm going to be talking more about sex. Uh... That reminds me of a story. My best friend growing up, he had these woods near his house, and we were just, all of our jokes, and I'm talking like first and second grade, I'm talking little kids. We have this idea that kids are so innocent, uh, but all of our jokes were so perverted. And we would even take things that had no, nothing perverse about them, and we would turn it into some weird sexual innuendo. One that I remember the most is the word connect, we decided, was a sexual term, like people connecting. I mean, I understand the logic we had, but I don't know where we picked up on that. And so anytime our teacher or anybody would say connect, we would look at each other and laugh because it was just like, for whatever reason, we decided connected, connect was just the funniest sexual term, you know. Uh, But we were going into the woods by his house and a fort had been built there. And all the kids in the neighborhood gathered there. And, you know, it's incredible whenever something like that is going on, like a fort where every kid for surrounding blocks, you know, congregates. And uh, there was this older kid who had come there. And uh, one time we were at the fort and the older kid was walking up and my friend said, what's the password? And the older kid goes, let me guess. It's something to do with sex. And we just cracked up, because first of all, he's right, you know. Uh, <laughs> first of all, it's, it, he's right. Uh, if we were going to have a password, of course it would be sex. Uh, but yeah, this episode's going to be another sex episode. It's been a running theme uh, the last week. And there's not really a reason for that. Obviously, there was the exhibitionist couple that kind of sparked that thought. But it, it's on my brain, too, because of all the incel stuff in the news and just everything our, our culture is talking about. As it turns out, you know, our culture is talking about sex all the time, our species, our world. Um, so why should I not talk about it? And I've had some ideas that I've wanted to explore I feel like just saying explore, I'm just imagining my second grade self, like looking at my friend and laughing, like even explore would probably end up being some innuendo. Explore. Uh, But I've had some ideas that I've just had going on in my brain for a number of years, and I don't feel like I've had the right words to discuss them. And I don't know that I have the, the right words right now, but it feels like a relevant time to bring these things up. And uh, one thing that's been on my brain, a question that I've been asking for many years is, why do STDs exist? What sort of function do they have? And I'm not one of these pragmatic, practical people who thinks that everything that happens in our world, biological or otherwise, has some evolutionary purpose. But a lot of things do, or it's at least worth considering what the grand purpose of them is or why they exist. And... Why do we get STDs? You know, on one hand, biology encourages us to have sex and to procreate. So why would it also have this counterweight that gives us pain or even death? I mean, some STDs kill you. Uh, There's no, you know, we, I understand that like the stigma or whatever, people are fighting the stigma against STDs. And I find that that's really bizarre. On one hand, I don't think we should shame people for having them. I don't think we should attack people for having them. Uh, But at the same time, the destigmatization, it almost becomes its own pathological entity where we're now saying like they don't matter at all 
or STDs don't have any impact, or we, we shouldn't care at all, we shouldn't share that information, which is really sick, uh, literally sick. It's a sickness. Uh, it's an illness uh, of, of your, it's a sexual illness, a disease. There's a reason why the D is in the word, in the acronym. Uh, so it's it's the de-stigmatization, while it's coming from a good place, and to some degree, I think it's necessary, you know, to not, you know, this isn't the scarlet letter, you know, we don't want to, like, ruin people's lives because of one bad decision, or maybe not even a bad decision. I mean, people get STDs in all kinds of ways. Uh, you know, they, they might just... I don't know, you know, it could be any any number of circumstances. It's not just, you know, immoral behavior. Uh, but it does make me wonder, like, why do STDs exist? What's the overall function? And the only thing I can come up with is that they're there to encourage us to be, to use more discretion and take more responsibility when it comes to sexual activity on a biological level. Uh, and... That's the, that's the only thing I can understand, and it's interesting how, you know, you look at porn, and I've always found it funny how, especially in the old days with internet porn, the number one way to get a virus on your computer was to go look at internet porn. So in being indiscreet in this digital world, you know, and, and going to these sites that have these sex sites, the sex sites, that's a good term. I'm sick of the term porn. Porn sounds so dumb. I hear it too much. I'd rather just say sex sites. Uh, but in going to these sex sites, you're more likely to get a virus, or you were. I don't know what it's like now. Um, but it's funny to me that in being, I guess, digitally promiscuous, in looking up porn, you were more likely to also get a disease, but it was one that affected your computer. So it's funny to me, it's almost, once again, an as above, so below thing. So it's interesting how whatever the sexual equivalent there is in the digital world mirrors biology in that way, where, you know, the more irresponsible and the more indiscreet you are about your sexual behavior, the more likely you are to get an STD. And your computer is the same way. You're just like your computer. And that's interesting to me. And what function is that, though? And I can only imagine it's there to encourage discretion, to encourage people to think things through and, and consider who they're involved with and how they're involved with them. And there's no, nothing to really take that away. And if it weren't for technology, speaking of computers, uh, another form of technology is condoms. In the same way as Timothy Leary once said, you know, simply wearing glasses or using a cane makes you a cyborg. Well, it's true for using a condom, too. A condom is technology. Uh, even those, like, weird, fucked-up prison condoms you hear about that they make out of, like, a plastic bag and a rubber band, like, even that's a form of technology. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, no, it's interesting, though, how, you know, we've developed technology to lessen the chances of getting these diseases, but just on its own as a human being without these, without augmentation, without becoming a cyborg, a condom-wearing cyborg, you know, you may get an STD. You very well may get an STD if you don't use discretion and if you're not responsible about your sexual activity. So that tells me that there's some, there's some function in our world that, you know, doesn't want us to just be out there fucking everything. You know, there's just something 
something larger happening that is discouraging that behavior. And it's also interesting to me that just about every organized religion also discourages that behavior. And maybe that's a byproduct of, of that biological function of STDs and, you know, unwanted pregnancies, uh, things like that. Maybe the religions developed these rules surrounding sexual activity for that reason, because, you know, not having those rules were fucking people's lives up, no pun intended. I, I don't know, though, but it's interesting to me that so many different religions and so many different places have some ideas about that at the very least. If not rules, they have ideas. And repression and all all that is a whole other topic. And some people would get conspiratorial about it and say, like, oh, these laws were developed to control women and this and that. And, you know, I don't think that that's true. I don't think that's the source of it. I think that's a byproduct of it. I think that people did begin to use those rules to control women or control people in general. I'm not denying that there hasn't been sexual oppression, sexual repression. Uh, I don't, I'm not arguing against the idea that these rules about sexual immorality, I'm not saying those haven't been used to control people. I believe that like almost anything, like almost any law, almost any, you know, anything that goes on in our world has the potential to become malignant. But that doesn't mean the source itself was originally malignant. And you have to figure that all these groups, all of these religious groups develop this idea, something similar. There are a lot of parallels to it. And it's not just organized religion, which everybody points at as being, you know, the most oppressive and repressing, you know, of any group, really. Uh, they get A lot of people point fingers at them, and there's a lot of hypocrisy there, too. I mean, you have these priests who abstain, but then secretly they are having, like, gay sex or, you know, molesting kids, or even maybe they have a secret wife. You hear about that, too, like they, priests with a secret wife. Obviously, it's not, you know, it's, it's not feasible for everybody to abstain from sex completely, and trying to do that makes, uh, can sometimes make even worse things happen. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, you know, it's, it's like it, it can turn into this weird pathology uh, these perverted pathologies can come from it. And I think about that and I'm just like, huh, like why do all these groups, why did they all develop these same ideas or similar ideas? But yeah, like I'm, I was saying, it's not simply organized religion. You also see it in, you know, more independent forms of spirituality. Uh, you even see it with Eastern thought, the idea of abstaining uh, just on for your own reasons. You have monks of all kinds. You have Buddhist monks who aren't supposed to do that. At least that's my understanding. Monks of different kinds, you know. Uh, but you have these different branches of thought, and they all deal with spiritual subject matter. They all deal with seeing humanity and existence on a larger scale. And they've all developed some sort of philosophy around at the very least, controlling your sexuality, at the very least, using discretion. And I think that's where I come from, where, you know, I on one hand, I think some good things have come out of the so-called sex positivity movement and all that. But on the other hand, I, that's another example of something where the source of the idea is good. You know, ending the oppression and repression of people 
for their sexual behavior. But I think sex positivity has also become malignant. And we're now in an age where we're like, STDs are good. Don't even tell anybody. Don't even tell anybody you have an STD. Don't even, oh, it's no big deal. It's not even a big deal. AIDS isn't even a big deal. It's like, it's still a big deal. It's, I don't, you know, I don't believe we should, you know, shame people. I don't believe we should, you know, try to make people feel horrible. I mean, they're already going to feel horrible if they have that. Um, But I also don't think we should do anything to encourage it or to make that normal. I don't think we should normalize that. What if technology fails us? What if they can no longer make latex? What are you going to do then? What if the latex all dries up? Uh, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, you have to consider that. I think, you know, not that that's going to happen, but I think you have to consider a larger view of things. Uh, and why is it though that, you know, just, you know, unfiltered, un, uncontrolled, wild sexuality, why is that so discouraged or at the very least, um, why are you told to give that consideration? Why are you told to give that extra consideration before you go through with it? I just wonder about that. Uh, and I, I don't really, though. I, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of it, at least at, in terms of my own experience at this point. Uh, and this incel thing is a whole new... It's not new, but it's, it's a new buzzword. And because of these shooters and different things going on in the world, incel, uh, you know, it's on one... It's one of those words that the people who call them it's 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 like <laughs> it's like some other words that are out there where the people who identify with that word can call themselves that but when an outsider calls them that it's considered cruel but yet you hear it all the time now uh incel he's an incel he's an incel and uh you know what incels are experiencing on a larger scale is their dna doesn't have an opportunity to continue uh, they, yeah, they think that they just want to get laid. It's, it's all based on, oh, I just want this sexual pleasure. I want this fleeting feeling of pleasure and the validation of knowing that another person wants to touch my naked body. You know, that's like how it's framed. But if you look at the bigger picture, you know, I talked about parenthood, something I know everything about. You know, I, I give parenting advice just walking down the street. I see a, a mom pushing a stroller and I'd say, you know, if you push the stroller a little bit this way, uh, your kid's going to turn out better. Your kid's not going to get an STD someday if you, if you avoid that bump right there, uh, which is a, a, an unintentional pun, bump, STD. Uh, but uh, no, I, I don't know anything about parenting, but I have thought about a, 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 the idea of procreation and parenting and the idea that it's a form of immortality. When you continue to have children, when you have, when you have children, it's a form of yourself continuing on and there's a reason why parents willingly sacrifice their own dreams and goals if they're a halfway good parent there's no there's a reason why they don't mind sacrificing their own dreams and goals so that their child can then live those out and they project that onto the child and oftentimes they will want their child to do what they wanted to do and that continues on you know grandchildren all of that you think about the godfather where Don Corleone's like, he wants his, he wants Michael to become a senator. And then Michael's talking to him. Michael becomes, you know, a mafia guy. And he's like, someday, Pop, someday. You know, it's, there's this idea of you have these dreams and goals. And eventually, maybe your, uh, 
your future spawn will achieve them. And you're okay with that. You're okay with you not achieving those goals because your children are or your grandchildren are or they have the possibility of achieving it. So you let go of a lot when you become a parent uh, unless you're some weird narcissist who like sees your kid as competition, in which case that's a whole other issue. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's this thing though where we, we see... Procreation is a form of immortality. It's not just that we create this creature where we're keeping the earth populated. We love this person. They're interesting. They, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's There's also this element of immortality to it. And it's your DNA getting to continue. Your DNA gets to continue. It gets to go on and become a senator. Uh, but it's that idea, I think, at the core of the incel dilemma where it's not just that they don't have any sexual validation, it's not that they don't have that, you know, uh, two seconds of pleasure <laughs> and the ensuing, like, euphoria that eventually dies down. Uh, it's, it's that they don't feel like they're getting to continue. And a lot of that's for good reason. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of people become incels. There's a reason why people reject them. Some of it's fair, some of it's unfair. That's just the nature of existence, you know. Uh, but some of these people have actually made themselves very repellent. And right now, the whole incel conversation loves to point that out. I mean, the, the national conversation. I was watching Bill Maher the other night. And he went on some rant about incels and, like, the problem with incels. And I actually found it very cruel. I was like, wow, like, if an incel was watching him, like, this would be really offensive. Even if the person wasn't one of these hateful, you know, online, like, you know, even if it was just somebody who is more, you know, I don't know. I don't really know what types exist out there, but I'm sure there are all kinds. I'm, I'm sure not all of these self-identified incels are violent and uh, you know, malicious about it. Uh, you know, I'm sure they're not all at wit's end, but I was like, you know, just the way Bill Maher brought it up, and not that I don't think he should say that. I mean, I think we need to be brutally honest, and I think some of these incel-type people, they need a little more brutal honesty in their lives from the right people. I think the problem is is they're getting a level of brutal honesty from the wrong people, which is their peers, you know? And, you know, who is Bill Maher to even... What does he know, honestly, about what a 20-year-old, like, Gen Z virgin is like? You know, he doesn't know anything. And it wasn't like he went out of his way to be mean. But even just, I think even just bringing it up in the way that people do just has, like, an inherent cruelty to it. And there's a lot of other cruelty out there. And these incels become cruel people themselves. And you think about where does that violent impulse come from? And it reminds me a lot about these other mass shooters where it's basically like, I want love so bad, and because I don't know how to get it, I'm going to kill everybody. And that's such an insane thing to, like, not just, like, not just be upset that you're not able to achieve this thing, but then to actually embrace the complete opposite. To be like, I really want love, and everybody else seems to want it too, and they get it, and I don't. So I'm going to kill them. I'm going to spread hate. You know, it's like, I'm going to go the opposite way. And that happens politically too. Like when someone gets shamed, you know, when someone shames their Republican friend, you're pushing them over further, you know. Uh, when someone, you know, it's, it's just the nature of shame is that it, it radicalizes people. Uh, but with these incels, it's like they do need some brutal truth because they are doing something that makes them repellent. In no way am I uh, 
saying it's not their responsibility. It is absolutely their responsibility. In the same way that it's someone's responsibility to avoid getting an STD. You know, I think that we need to take a lot more responsibility for ourselves, whether we're miserable, whether we're happy, you know, understanding that you have a certain level of control over your life. And as Tim Dillon, the comedian, pointed out, the amazing thing about this whole incel thing is that these guys often aren't terrible looking, like these mass shooters in particular, but a a number of incels. Uh, some of them, you know, they're they're in decent shape. They're not, you know, they might have an awkward teenage face or something. There might be something a little, like, imperfect about them. But they're not, you know, genetic freaks, you know. And he, as he said, as Tim Dillon said, he was like, you watch, like, my 600-pound life, that show, and you have these 600-pound people who can't even get up to feed themselves, and they have a wife, <laughs> you know, they have a girlfriend. And yet these kids who are, you know, incels, you know, they're in much better shape than that. They have a lot more going for them than that, uh, at least in terms of, you know, appearances, uh, which tells you that there's something else going on beyond just, you know, how you look, obviously, obviously. I, I don't even need to go into that. Uh, but it's just, it's it's a crazy dynamic. So uh, there was a movie that came out, I think it was in, God, in the 80s, my friend Miles had it, and it was called Even Hitler Had a Girlfriend. <laughs> And it was about an incel. It was about like this night security guard. And a friend of mine was going to do a zine. And I'm not a movie guy at all, but I was going to review that movie for the zine. And I just never did. I don't think the zine even came out. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was called Even Hitler Had a Girlfriend, which is true. Hitler did have a girlfriend. And I think that's another great example of what I'm talking about, where these kids, like, they see that. They see that even Hitler had a girlfriend. Why can't you get a girlfriend? Even Hitler had a girlfriend. Uh, or like My 600-Pound Life. Like I, I've seen that show once, and like the only time I saw it, it was like a 600-pound guy in Mexico who had a wife who was like in relatively normal shape, at least comparatively speaking. And it's like, whoa. You know, and so these kids see that, and they're just like, "What is, what is wrong?" You know, but the problem is, is they don't say, "What can I do to change myself?" They are like, it's the world's fault. It's all the world. It's society. Which is funny because that's the same exact thing that the radical left does. And these incels, they often embrace these right-wing ideas because it sort of reinforces... It it gives their negativity some sort of base. It gives them some sort of foundation for their negativity beyond just like, I feel like shit because I feel like shit. It's like it gives them some sort of like, you know, foundation for it. And they're not all right wing. That's the thing, too. And, you know, it's it's a complete farce that people are associating that whole incel thing purely with this like Trump and right wing thing. That's another form of just our current pathology. These associations that we make. There's a lot of there's a lot of liberal virgins out there. Um, but it's it is interesting how um, it's all interesting. I mean, this is all fascinating to me. I mean, honestly, that's why I'm talking about it, because it's. I'm not trying to answer any questions. I'm just kind of exploring these topics in a way that I'm not hearing people talking about it. You know, and I'm, not, I'm not saying I have the best ideas, or I, I, I you know, just because I don't hear other people saying the things that I'm saying right now doesn't mean I'm right or wrong or whatever, but uh, I like what I'm saying. 
I like what I'm saying. But these kids, they're not taking responsibility for them, themselves. They're not asking, why am I so repellent? Or if they are, they're not doing it in a constructive way. Because, you know, hating yourself isn't the right answer. Uh, uh, but it's, it's funny how even though, like, there's this association between incels and this new, like, alt, quote-unquote, alt-right mythology, uh, you see the same attitude on the radical left where there's this idea that it's all society's fault. I don't need to change because society's doing this to me. I don't need to lose weight. Society's attacking me. You know, my, you know, I don't need to lose weight. My doctor's fat shaming me because he says I'm going to have a heart problem if I keep eating like in and out burger every day. You know, it's like there's this idea that it's everybody else's fault. And that's something that the radical left and these incels have in common is they blame other people for all of their problems. And that's not to say that other people haven't done fucked up shit. That's not to say there aren't some structural problems that are reinforcing those people's individual problems. Of course, everything affects everything. Everything bleeds into everything. Of course, of course that is going on. In the same way that I was talking about, you know, religions, it comes from, there's some idea, there's some basic human idea about using discretion and responsibility with regards to your sexual activity. There's something to that idea. And a lot of people throughout history have said, hey, let's think about that. Maybe let's suggest it. Let's make a rule. And then we know what happens with rules. You end up with like freaks. Freaks love rules and they you get snitches and tattletales and you know people think that they get to they make their own badge out of paper and put it on their chest and enforce uh, you hear that? <clears throat> Uh, I just slapped my chest like I had a badge on. They make their own little paper badges so they can enforce the rules because they love rules. And they don't ever actually think about what those rules are based on or what those mean or the most effective way to get people to understand those rules rather than follow them. Because if you don't understand a rule, you know, what the fuck? It's like my understanding of rules and my own personal rules, too, comes from me breaking them. You know, whenever I meet someone who's never broken a rule, who's never taken a risk, uh, it's why people who have been down in the abyss, you know, often have the most insight about, you know, the, the, the bright world above the abyss. You know, it's like Bruce Lee once talked about how, you know, you have to empty your cup in order to appreciate the taste of water when you fill it back up. It's that basic idea. You have to go down deep into the abyss to get back out and to truly understand what the brightness is. I don't meditate out in nature very much. I don't meditate outside very much. It's usually at home. Uh, uh, but sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'll go out and I'll sit on a park bench and you know I'm not able to get quite as into it as I would if I'm at home because there's things happening, there's noises, there's people. I'm a paranoid person, so like I, you know... <laughs> I can't completely relax even meditating outside, but I'll open my eyes after I've had them closed for a while, and I'm just astounded by the brightness and the color of everything. And it's that sort of contrast. But you experience that sort of contrast in your life when you've been in a very dark place and you manage to pull yourself out of it. Uh, but you, the only way to do that is to take some level of responsibility, and you can only take responsibility if you are brutally honest with yourself. 
And so these incels, they're not being honest with themselves. Just like all those people who unfriended all their Republican friends and all they get is this feedback loop of people who agree with them, which just just radicalizes them even more and turns it into more of an in-group, out-group situation. The same thing plays out with these incels where they go to their message boards and it just quickly it becomes all women are this way. All women are this way. And uh, that just gets, you know, we see what happens. And then you add in the fact that at the core of all this is the idea that my DNA doesn't get to continue. I'm being oppressed. People have just decided that, you know, people are just punishing me. Fuck life. Fuck life. You know, and you repeat that over and over again, and it's just, it's fucked. And it's like with the littering thing where... It was a pretty big epiphany to me because I used to like, there's so much fucking litter, you know, there's so much and it just, it's always blown my mind. And like, if if you've ever seen somebody litter, it's entirely different from like what your imagination envisions, you know, like if you ever, it's so casual, but it's so hateful. Like if you look at someone's face as they litter, it's so casually hateful. And when I understood that, oh, they think the world is already ugly. They hate their life. And they think the world is already an ugly place, so it doesn't matter if you throw a Cheetos bag on the ground. They don't, it doesn't matter to them because the world is already ugly to them. They feel ugly. The world looks ugly to them. Therefore, a Cheeto bag is just another ugly thing. It's just another ugly thing. And uh, it's, it's the, the same sort of mentality you know, plays out where you repeat this thing over and over again, and you start to see things that way, and the world gets this tint to it. It gets this kind of, you know, it gets a tint to it based on what you've been repeating. And if, especially if you're in some sort of community that where everybody feels that way and everybody is constantly reinforcing that, it's only going to be malignant. It's only going to be dangerous. And, and when we're talking about immortality, and we are, like we're talking about genetic immortality, on some deep level, these kids don't realize it, but that is a part of their concern. That is a part of their concern is that, like, I don't get to procreate. I don't get to be a part of the world. I don't get to be a part of the future. The future doesn't want me involved, so I'm going to kill people or I'm going to be a piece of shit at the very least, you know, because most incels don't kill people. I think we have to acknowledge that. Most incels aren't going to violently hurt people. There's a lot of them out there, and most of them aren't. Not all incels. How about that? There's a new movement. Not all incels. Not all. Uh, But, you know you see where this plays out and, and it's, it's, it's not just one thing. It's not just incels. It's not just this or that. It's like these communities develop. I mean, maybe for all I know, there are like online littering communities. And the reason there's so much litter is because these people are sitting in chat rooms. I love it. I love it when people still invoke the word chat rooms and it does feel like an invocation. It's like chat rooms. Are you sitting in, do you ever go in those chat rooms? Uh, my sister had like had a boyfriend when I was in junior high, this kind of hippie guy. I really liked him. Nice guy. Uh, but I remember he asked me once like about AOL cause I, I was on AOL and he was like, do you ever like go on those chat lines? And that stood out to me. Chat lines. got to start saying that. Are you on those chat lines? A line. A chat line, because that makes me think of the party line. You know, you used to be able to call, uh, if you'd stay up late at night, on like a weekend especially, you know, you'd, ha- you'd have those uh, those commercials where it's like the sex hotline. Speaking of that, uh, has, has anybody told these incels about the sex hotline? You can call and talk to live, beautiful women 
on a 1-800 number. You can talk to a psychic and then a hot woman on the line. Uh, no, but you'd see these beyond like the sex hotlines, they would also have the party hotline where it was just people could call in and they would put you in basically a verbal chat room, a literal, an actual uh, chat line where you would just talk to other people who called the hotline. And I never did it, but I knew about it. And so you'd call and you'd basically just be on like a, uh, you know, it'd be like an open line where a bunch of different people were on the phone as if you were at a party, but it was all through a phone. But it was basically, you know, a chat room through the phone. Uh, chat rooms, yeah. This, I'm giving you an entire history of chat rooms and party hotlines. Uh, and I had a point about incels somewhere in there. Not all incels. Uh, but... Uh, I don't know. We'll just, I was talking about how people get into these insular groups and that just reinforces, oh yeah, like like the, the littering thing. Like maybe for all I know, there is a group out there online, a chat room of litterers who just say, did you litter today? Make sure you litter because the world sucks. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if that exists. Uh, uh, but people do form these, you know, these malignant groups and it starts out, you know, support groups can easily become that too. I mean, you see it with like people who quit drinking, with people who are in AA, where they create this insular world, and alcohol is terrible, it's bad, it's scary. They live their lives in fear of alcohol and in fear of alcoholics, and alcohol is dangerous. Alcoholics can be dangerous, but you don't want to, like, completely limit your view of the world to that, you know? Uh, at no point in my process of quitting drinking have I ever wanted to just completely put blinders up and completely, you know, separate separate myself from the reality of alcohol. But it's what people tend to do, especially if they're not feeling well or they feel like something is a threat to them. And, you know, even if something isn't a threat to them, when you form an in-group, you inevitably see everything outside of that as a threat. And that's where the malignance really creeps in. Uh, but uh, with these incels, it's like they're they're in this little world, and they're not taking responsibility for themselves, and there's not really anybody telling them that. You know, there's Jordan Peterson, who I think gives great advice to men like that, uh, and and it's absurd that he's become such a controversial figure. Uh, but you know, there's very few people who are actually addressing this issue in a meaningful way, and I don't see it coming at all from the left. I really don't. I don't see them offering much insight to the incels, insight to the incel, except shaming them and, you know, and they should be, you know, they're, you know, their misogyny should be addressed and, and should be discouraged. Uh, but I, I think they're getting a lot of feedback from the wrong sources and a lot of that's their own fault too because I think they seek out that agitation in the same way that, you know, some uh, stubborn right-winger will like purposely find examples online of, you know, liberalism out of whack. You know, it's like some like right-winger will like purposely look up articles that point out like when an immigrant does something bad or like when you know someone freaks out over being misgendered like like right-wingers will seek that out just to keep themselves agitated it's like seeking out their own propaganda and the left of course does that all the time uh, and in incels do that incels are they're in this place where they not only feel miserable for a b and c but they're seeking out examples of a b and c and they're seeking out you know different forms of propaganda that reinforce that so they almost end up embracing that identity 
And the thing that's so sad is like if they just had sex, they'd realize it's not that big of a deal. I think that's where I'm heading with all this is that they've seen it in movies. They've heard people talk about it. They, they see this and that and they end up mythologizing it. And it's not their fault because society has mythologized it. And uh, does it feel good? Yeah. You know, I've had, you know, relatively few, uh, quote unquote, sexual partners, partners. I've had, you know, I've had like a lot of sex in my life with relatively few partners. I'll say that. And I'm proud of that. You know, I'm, I'm not proud. I'm content with that. I think contentment is different from pride. I'm content with that fact. Uh, and, uh, I think like part of that is because I know it's not that big of a deal. Like, not that I think it's, uh, when I say not a big deal, I think it is a big deal. And I think you should be responsible and, um, you should give it, you should always give it some consideration, even in the heat of the moment. Uh, maybe not the heat of the moment, but leading up to the heat of the moment, you should always give give it a lot of consideration and if it's alcohol fueled or whatever well maybe there are some other issues you need to address like if you keep getting drunk and going home with people well uh it's probably not what the organized religions were thinking you should do when they came up with their set of guidelines and rules uh <laughs> you know what i mean uh you should probably use a little more discretion and i don't believe in slut shaming or whatever the fuck you know like i don't i don't believe in doing that i don't believe in shaming people period I don't believe in any kind of shaming, whether someone is promiscuous or isn't. I don't believe we should encourage or discourage. Uh, it's not my job to do that. But I can speak from my own place of truth. I can speak from my own place of deep consideration. And like I said, if these incels knew that it, it was it, that it is not as big of a deal as they think it is, it is not as big of a deal. Um, and many of them might be underwhelmed. I mean, their partners are going to be underwhelmed for sure. <laughs> Here I am trashing them now. See, I'm, I've joined the club. Uh, see, if, if someone just heard that snippet, if an incel just heard that snippet, they'd be like, oh, look, he's, he, even that guy who's trying to like give some insight into our condition, even he's shaming us. But people are like that. And in the same way that me saying, I don't think uh, promiscuity is a good idea, and I think STDs are a biological example of nature not wanting us to, you know, just be these wild beasts, uh, someone will hear that and be like, oh, well, he thinks all sluts should go die. You know, people will jump to those conclusions, and people are so sensitive. And I think, you know, people have to prepare themselves for a very honest truth, and it seems to be something that most people don't want to hear. They don't want to hear a brutal truth about something that affects the core of us, not as individuals, but as an entire species, you know? It's like this is, we're talking about something on a species level, because when I talk about looking at the big picture of, you know, why do STDs exist? Why do all of these spiritual practices involve some form of sexual control, self-control, uh, guidelines. Why, why is this a conclusion that so many different uh, elements of humanity have come up with over so long, you know, such a long timeline? Uh, I, I really do have to give that stuff consideration. And now more than ever, it's not just that. It's anytime I see parallels between culture and religion, I think, okay, there's something to that. 
there's something to that. That comes from somewhere. That's basically what it comes down to. It comes down to the fact that it comes from somewhere, and somebody's thinking dirty thoughts because I'm saying those words. My second grade self, God, if, if we thought the word connect was sexual, God forbid we heard the word comes. It's almost too graphic, though. I like the idea of taking like some sexual, sexual innuendo from something that really doesn't even have that connotation. <laughs> comes is just too literal. Uh, but I don't know, this, it gets into the idea too of like sexual transmutation. And I know I talk a lot about Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, but it actually has a chapter on that. And it talks about um, using sexual transmutation, basically channeling sexual energy into other pursuits, uh, which is hard to explain. Um, but I, I believe it, it is a real process. I mean, I, I believe it can be done, and I believe it's very effective. And Napoleon Hill, he associates it with success in business and uh, innovation, you know, kind of not, there's nothing about abstinence, nothing like that, you know, but just channel, learning how to channel your sexual energy into other avenues. And that's something I'm very interested in. And not because I wanted to be, it's just something that kind of fell into my life where, uh, you actually can channel that energy instead of looking at porn all the time. And, you know, and honestly, I'm at a point, too, where I'm pretty anti-porn. Uh, you know, granted, I'm from the Internet generation and it was always available, is always available. It's not like I don't have any sexual desire, uh, but uh, I'm pretty anti-porn at this point. Um, and it's not a coincidence that you get viruses. No, uh, but it's... I think the proliferation of porn is fucking us up for sure, but I also don't think we should ban it. You know, I, I, I feel like when we, if we can talk about these things as honestly as we can and explore them as honestly as we can, I feel like we don't need to ban them. I feel like we don't need to shame people. I feel like we don't need rules. We don't need commandments. I feel like if we can simply speak honestly about them and understand them on our own terms. We don't need to have rules and regulations and you should do this, you should do that, because we see what happens. I mean, I love the story of Ted Haggard some years back where he was this evangelical priest, very famous, you know, speaking out against gays and all that, and then it turns out that he's like having sex with men and smoking meth in a hotel room. I mean, that happens so much. It's it's just like the priest story. Uh, And then you have stuff like Gandhi, I believe it was, who would sleep in the same bed as young women, but never touch them, allegedly. I don't know. And some people hear that and they think like, oh, that's not true. Gandhi must have slept with them. I don't know. You know, he's Gandhi, you know, and I don't put, I don't even put Gandhi on a pedestal, you know. (laughs) Here I'm talking about, Gandhi was an incel. Um, No, he must not have been. If, If he voluntarily slept in the same bed as women, but didn't have sex with them, Gandhi wouldn't be an incel. He'd just he'd be a vol cell, Gandhi the vol cell. Uh, but I have to imagine that someone like Gandhi understood sexual transmutation, and that's not to say that you shouldn't be careful of because uh, I, I think somebody can be. I think they can be. I don't know. I think about the Sopranos where there's the father Intentola character. He's the priest, and of course priests are. You know, I have this this philosophy that. In old Irish and Italian families, you know, they would have like 10 kids and one of them would become a priest. And my theory is that the mom 
secretly just understood that that was the gay son. Because just on a statistical probability level, you're more likely to have a gay son if you have 10 kids, right? Uh, can we all agree on that? Uh, and they would encourage that son to become a priest, which is why there is such an undercurrent of homosexuality and sexual repression in the priesthood, because it was like, well, what are we going to do with this kid? Have him become a priest. Uh, but uh, the character Father Intentola on The Sopranos, it's, it kind of hints at the fact that, like, they don't hint at it, but it's like, there's this kind of like, well, is he gay? Is he straight? Like, what's his deal? He's very wholesome. He's a priest. All the other, he's wholesome definitely in comparison to the other male characters on The Sopranos. Uh, but, you know, he ends up getting really close to the mob wives, you know, and he ends up staying the night with Carmela. Like, they don't sleep together. They just talk or they almost kiss. And then, you know, in the end, she's like, you know, out of all the Fanuk, which, you know, means gay, that's how they talk in Jersey, out of all the Fanuk priests, you know, why did I have to get the only straight one? Uh, but then she calls him out, and she's like, you know, I think you just like the whiff of sexuality, Father. Uh, <laughs> which, that'd be a great quote out of context. I think you just like the whiff of sexuality, Father. Uh, but she calls him out on that because it's true. He's this priest and he is straight, but he finds himself in these situations like and she sees him with another mob wife at one point, like eating. And, and there's something very sexual about the food. And Carmela brings that up. She's like, there's something about like you spending all this time with these these wives and, and, there, and there has some connection to food, which is sensual, you know. Personally, I find food disgusting, and here's where I will put down a rule. Anybody who has any kind of, like, weird food fetish can fuck right off. Get out of my civilization. That is disgusting. <laughs> you want to talk about shame? That is, I will shame somebody for that. I will shame a food fetish. That is foul. Food fights. If you think fighting with food is okay, get out of my society. If you think that, like, doing weird sexual shit with food is okay, out of my society. The incels are welcome, the sluts are welcome, all those people are welcome in my society, and we can all figure this thing out. But if you do weird shit with food, whether it's throwing it at people, whether it's like you bring it in the bedroom, uh, I mean, at this point, like, I'm not only, like, slowly becoming more anti-porn, I'm also becoming, like, I, I think there should be rules about eating in bed, you know, and so it, you add sex into that, and, like, that's foul. That's just foul. Uh, but yeah, Carmela calls Father Intentola out for having this weird relationship with the wives and food and just kind of leading them on, but like not really following through. And he's a priest. And so there's this, this spiritual component and he's a hypocrite because as she says, uh, she's like, you know, you know where my money comes from and we give a lot of money to your church. You know, because she's trying to tell him about like what a piece of shit Tony is, and he's like, "Well, Tony, you know, he's a, uh, you know, Tony, you know, he he he's conflicted. You know, it's like he's trying to justify Tony's behavior because Tony donates money to the church or whatever." Anyway, tangent. Just an opportunity to talk about the Sopranos, like everybody else these days. I've noticed that like half the podcasts I listen to right now are people talking about the Sopranos, which is great. Uh, best show ever, in my opinion. But that Father Intentola character was great. The guy who played him did a really great job. That whole Carmela Intentola. Like, normally I don't get into the the soap opera-y, quote-unquote, aspects of shows and stuff, but I felt like the Father Intentola Carmela storyline was done really well and made a really great point about people, about religion, people, hypocrisy, um, 
all of that. I felt like that was done really well. I was talking about sexual transmutation, though, and just the idea of channeling, channeling that energy. And if you were to talk to like a science person about that, if you're if you're going to talk to a guy who like worships Neil deGrasse Tyson and Carl Sagan, you know, they're going to like be like, "Hey, I can't measure that. How do I measure that with my ruler?" I believe that we can. We, I believe we should go to space, but I, I can't possibly believe in anything I can't see. I believe the universe is expanding. I believe I know how the universe was created, the Big Bang, but I, I, uh, I can't possibly believe that anybody has any insight into invisible aspects of the human spiritual condition. Because I'm an atheist. Did you hear? Did you hear that pro wrestling is fake too? How dare you watch that? Um. Meanwhile, meanwhile, my life was ruined because of the Game of Thrones finale. You know, there's so many people like that, and I, I know I jump at them because they really annoy me, <laughs> like people who have food fetishes. Uh, so this just ended up being an excuse to rant against, like, these science fanboys and people with food fetishes. And if there's any crossover in between those people, ooh, I got some Ten Commandments for you. I got some Ten Commandments for you, my friend. Uh, but I, I do believe that uh, sexual energy can be channeled in different ways. And that doesn't mean you have to abstain. You know, I think it just, it comes from having self-control. It comes from having discretion. And it comes from having a purpose. I believe that purpose is lacking. Something I see in both the incels and people who define their lives by their sexual promiscuity. Something they both have in common is they both seem to have a lack of purpose. And I'm not saying they all do, but it's a theme I've seen. And I know I know people of both slants. Like I don't know any like incels who are 20 years old, but I've known some people of that type who are of my generation or a little bit younger, a little bit older. I know that type of person. It's not like that person was just it's not like it's a new phenomena just like Oh, those people only exist because kids like started using uh, phones. Because you hear that too. It's like, oh, I'll, that's that's the other thing that Bill Maher was talking about, where he just went on this phone shaming rant about how like millennials don't have any friends. Like they did some study where like twenty five percent of millennials, twenty two percent of millennials said they didn't have a single friend, and twenty five percent said they didn't have a single acquaintance. And since I heard that, I've seen all these things online. I don't think I had noticed it before, but I've seen all these things online about millennials and young people saying they don't have any friends. And I think that there's something very real to that. And Bill Maher, of course, used it as an opportunity to, opportunity to phone shame. Uh, and he was like, oh, it's just it's because everybody's in their phones. And it's like, don't you see that's just a symptom of something much larger? Don't you see how that's just a symptom of a much larger disconnect? And he was talking about how like, oh, because people get online and they get on Instagram and they see how perfect other people's lives are. That's one of the most juvenile analysis analyses. That's one of the one of the more juvenile analyses of uh this whole phone generation and social media generation. Oh, people are just showing you the most uh, perfect parts of their lives. They're showing you what they want their lives to be. I think that's healthy. I think that's positive. I think that's no different than having like a goal. I think that's no different than like writing down a goal for yourself. I think projecting what you want your life to be out into the world, even if it's through, you know, Facebook or Instagram, I think that will actually help you achieve that more. It certainly will help you achieve it more than posting like nihilist memes and, you know, complaining about bullshit and focusing on this negative shit just to seem more real. 
You know, I think, you know, projecting the image of yourself you want to see out in the world is actually fairly healthy. And I hate it when people complain about that. I hate it when people say that's the source of all these. That's why young people don't have friends, because some people like, you know, because he even brought up food. He's like, some people are eating like, you know, like they post their healthy meal and that shames somebody who's who's, uh, you know, eating garbage. And it's like, so what? So what? Like, you know, we should be promoting the idea, even if it's not currently in our hands, we should have an image of our best self. We should have an image of our healthiest self. And it takes responsibility to achieve that. It takes purpose to achieve that. And that's what these people are lacking. And he says, like, you know, it's so people seeing like everyone's perfect lives on social media is making the losers feel even worse. And that's true because when you're in a bad place, everything looks bad. When you when the whole world looks ugly, you don't mind littering, but you have to change from within. And that's what's missing. If you change from within and you feel decent, like in my last episode, I talk about neutrality. Seeking that balance of neutrality, not trying to make yourself feel happy, not trying to be euphoric all the time, just trying to achieve a natural emotional balance, some, some level of stability. When you're stable, when you've achieved some level of stability, you can look at Instagram and your phone and see what other people are doing with their lives and you don't get upset about it. Or if you do, it's just for a fucking second. Like I get on there and I see like somebody say something that I think is like needy or, you know, it's an opinion I don't agree with or just something I don't like. I'm an opinionated, critical person. And sometimes I see things online that I don't like. But because my goal is stability and I feel like I've managed to find some level of neutrality or stability, I don't see that and go, oh, well, everything sucks and my life sucks. And how dare these people shame me with their good lives this whole phone shaming thing is going to look really stupid in 20 years. It's going to look, it looks stupid now. And so the idea that phones or this new frontier, the growing pains of this new frontier are somehow to blame, you know, it's just complete bullshit. I mean, I have friends that I made online when I was in junior high that I've never met in person that I consider among the most beautiful, you know, closest friends I have. And I have real, you know, I have real life friends too. So it's like, I don't feel like, I feel like if anything, this digital frontier has created more opportunity for connection, more opportunity for understanding, but you have to be in a decent place to actually appreciate it and, and integrate it into your life in a healthy way. Uh, and so it's like, there's nothing wrong with just like, there's nothing wrong with this digital frontier. It's new, it's strained, it's awkward, there are going to be growing pains. I mean, the Industrial Revolution was a fucking mess, if you actually look at it. You know, if you actually look at, like, everything that was going on in factories, all the changes that had to be made, all the, you know, two steps forward, one step back, uh, you know, we experience growing pains, and I think you should take a step back and realize that. And I hope people are able to do that before things get too far gone. Because this whole topic of incels that's in the news, all of that, I'm just looking at that and I'm like, this is being framed so poorly. People are being given so little, they're being, it's being given no, once again, it's consideration. These things are being given such little consideration and what little consideration they're being given is just coming from the wrong place. And these little groups of form, these factions, these fractions, factions and fractions, uh, and, you know, we have to look at the grand, <sighs> how's that for a sigh? I don't sigh enough. 
I'm getting worked up about this. Um, uh, but it's just, there's this lack of honesty. There's this lack of honesty from everybody. These incels are not honest with themselves and they don't even know how to be. They don't know how to be honest with themselves because nobody around them is being honest either. And they're being called out for things that they feel are unfair. And they in turn are calling things out about other people that are unfair. Uh, people have gotten really twisted up and it's interesting how the very thing that keeps us alive, the very, the very thing that keeps us immortal on a personal level, a familial level, a blood level, on a societal level, the thing that keeps us alive, human sexuality, it is sacred. It is absolutely sacred. That's what I know. That's what I know. It doesn't matter what religion has what rule, what so-and-so thinks, what this, you know, article on, you know, BuzzFeed says. Uh, stupid, why did I bring up BuzzFeed? But, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody's saying. The one thing I know for sure is that sexuality is sacred, and it deserves our utmost consideration. <laughs> This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can